American girls, it's sad to imagine a world without you. American girls, I'd like to be part of the world around you. Driving a car by the seaside, watching the world from the bright side. Welcome to the first episode of the Games and Junk Game Club podcast. My name is Jason Ariola, the host for. So far, all but one of these stupid things that we've done. And joining me today is Connor Mahood. Hi. And first time guest, first time appearance is uh, Brittany Beschel. Hey. And I said that correct, right? Yes, that's okay. right. Okay, I thought so. I remember I kept it in the back of my head that it's it's like special, but with a B. So. Yes. <laughs> this is kind of a new thing for us. Actually, we're going to be picking a game, and we're going to sit down and like dissect it, how we felt about it, game mechanics, stuff like that. And the first game that we picked for this inaugural Gadge Game Club is Don't Nod Entertainment's uh, Life is Strange. And we're actually only going to be talking about the first two episodes here. So if this was something that you were wanting to play, you could kind of play along with us, I suppose. Um, warning, we are going to get into some spoiler territory on this. Not, We're going to try to beat around the bush as much as possible, but we don't want to cripple the actual conversation by not being able to talk about certain things. So if you haven't played the first two episodes, maybe go ahead and check out on this one for a little while, finish those two up, and then come back. In order to make things simpler, we will tag every spoiler by uh, playing an ear-splitting uh, high-pitched noise, and that will play for four minutes before every spoiler. <laughs> oh, Connor, that might be excessive. I was thinking three minutes, 30 seconds would be good. Sure, three minutes, 30 seconds, um, and it'll be approximately 1,000 decibels, and just when that ends, you can come, you know, you know there's going to be spoilers. Yeah. Um, what I was thinking was the alert noise for Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> and just, yeah. But just leave that on a repeating loop on full blast. So, so I mean, yeah, I mean, then you'll get a good idea of what, uh, what's, what poor Solid Snake goes through in, like, Metal Gear Solid 1. So. Yeah. <laughs> or even the uh, this action will have consequences uh, sound. Oh, yeah, it's good. You know, that would be far more clever and prevalent to what we're talking about. She's a bad host. Bad host. <laughs> <laughs> I've only been doing podcasts for like four years. I should know better. Anyway, um, this is Don't Nod's sophomore game. Uh, the only other game they've done outside of uh, one that they're developing right now is Remember Me, a Capcom published game for the PS3 and the 360. And I think, did that end up coming out for the... Yeah, it did end up coming out for the PC. Um... Which also kind of deals with time travel, which I'm starting to wonder if uh, Don't Nod has a little bit of a like a like a time travel sort of kick in their blood. I heard good things about Remember Me. I never got to play it. You know, I've heard that like conceptually it's interesting, story interesting, and maybe gameplay mechanics eh, a little wonky, maybe. But ah, it's an old story. Yes, and you know that I, I would say that almost kind of works along with Life is Strange a little bit. <laughs> Sunburn, waiting for the 
I was asking if you wanted to go ahead and describe Life is Strange a little bit for us. Definitely is one of those hard games to explain, really, when it's so story-heavy and you don't want to give out spoilers right away. But uh, Life is Strange is an episodic story that kind of follows traditions of recent Telltale games. Play as 18-year-old Max Caulf- Maxine Caulfield, who is a photography student. She returns to her hometown of Arcadia Bay after five years being away to attend the prestigious Blackwell Academy. Uh, strange things are happening, such as the bizarre disappearance of one of its students and Max's newfound ability to rewind time. So, throughout the game, you use this ability to rekindle old friendships, make new ones, and to investigate the sketchy events going on around Arcadia Bay. The way the game opens up is uh, Max is having this weird nightmare about the the town, uh, Arcadia Bay, being destroyed by a gigantic tornado. Um, now, the thing with that tornado, did, did the sound effects of it, like the electricity thing, that remind you guys of anything? Like, I, I can't quite place the sound effect, but it sounds so familiar, and it's driving me bonkers. Um, well, mine is probably not relevant. It just reminded me a tiny bit of Alan Wake. Okay, you know what? I haven't played Alan Wake. Hmm. It's just that... I know what you're thinking of, then. That sound... I don't know. Like, I, I almost think in movie, I, like... Maybe, I don't know. I'm even trying to think like Back to the Future. Maybe I wonder. Wonder if there's... I mean, I don't know because Life is Strange definitely has amazing sound design. So I would hate to think that for that they would take it from something else. But... Yeah, I, maybe it's a maybe it's a if you will nod to it. I don't know. It could it's a be time travel thing. But anyway, um, so she wakes up in the middle of this. It turns out to be a dream, and she wakes up in the middle of class after having this dream. Um. After some rather, we'll say, mundane things kind of occur, she ends up going to the bathroom to kind of calm her, calm herself, and discovers after an incident, which I don't think, I, I think we can spoil this because this is like the, what, the first 10 minutes of the game? Yeah, you can see it in the trailers if you look it up. Okay. Um, she witnesses a, a fellow student uh, shooting another, not student, but another person in the bathroom. And puts out her hand to stop it and turns and she kind of rewinds time that way. She finds herself back in her desk and everything kind of happening again. And I guess in a sense, the way the Telltale games kind of play out, uh, she you can kind of like interact with stuff, look at things or just interact with objects. As it kind of happens, you find that uh, the ability to control time is real. And it wasn't just a dream because everything that was happening before happened in the exact same manner and to kind of correct the course of some things to not make herself look as dumb she rewinds time to give herself the answer to a question that is asked from her, her teacher what do we what do we what do we think of the first episode here um initial impressions we'll say how about that the first few minutes did this did this thing kind of snag you immediately or was it one of the things like okay maybe it's a little bit of a slow burn i'm gonna say it kind of caught me immediately not even because of the character's story or whatever but as soon as um max walks out into the hallway and puts her music on and then that song by Sid Matters starts playing. I just knew immediately, like, this is going to be great. The entire thing just based on the music. And I wasn't wrong. And it just it just got, you know, even more drawing from then, you know, going into the bathroom and having that whole thing happen with rewinding that person being shot. It was just one of those things where I just knew immediately, like, this is going to become one of my new favorite games just in the first five minutes. How about yourself, Connor? Um... Yeah, I actually had a similar feeling um, because the, like, actually that scene in particular uh, really focuses on Max's inner life. And that's something I like in, you know, in film and in fiction and stuff, but you don't really get it in games much, like the character's inner life. Mm -hmm. 
Um, in fact, characters don't really seem to have inner lives most of the time in games. Um, but yeah, even just the fact that Max can hear the music and nobody else can, like music in games is not like that. It's like all score, you know? And so it felt a lot more personal. Yeah. It's something um, more for you than the actual protagonist of the game. Yeah. And I was, I was really pulled in actually by the first, the first time stop moment. And I think that that scene where she has to, uh, where she has to sit through class waiting for the time to like go to the bathroom and have it all happen again is amazingly tense, but it also functions as a kind of a low impact tutorial um, where she's figuring out her time powers by messing around in class, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was, I was really, I was really pulled in actually. You know, and I think, uh, Brittany, I think you and I talked about this um, originally, like, this is what kept me from playing it until the very end, because the the wait in between episodes would have probably driven me nuts. So yeah, I, it's tricky. I bought the season pass, like, with, I got a little past that, like, basically I made it outside of the school for the first time, and I was like, you know what, I'm just going to hold off on this until it's until it's out completely, and then I'll get on this. I will say, like, I could tell that there was something that was going to go on, and there was something there with this game that was going to draw me in. And my first pass at this game, for whatever reason, I've got to say, like, Max didn't really endear herself to me very much. I didn't like... Really? Yeah. Now, I will explain myself a little on this, because uh-huh. um, the reason being, like, I want to say, like, the dialogue felt off to me. Like, it didn't seem like it was particularly well written. Kind of what turned me off to a point. Come back to it the second time, and I kind of felt the same thing. And then I started reading the journal a little bit, and then it kind of dawned on me that, wait a second... She's an 18-year-old girl. I'm a 33-year-old man. Of course, I don't talk like this, but an 18-year-old girl who's in in a, like, you know, kind of an artsy-fartsy, you know, school, of course she would talk like this. And when you're, you know, when you're that age, everything you do is the most interesting and amazing thing. And as you get a little older, I guess the, the, we'll say, wisdom and cynicism of age kind of seeps in a little bit. And nothing seems like that anymore. And you when you put it in that perspective or when I put it in like that perspective, like this is an 18 year old girl who's kind of just figuring out the, like the, what, it, what being an adult, that's when it kind of sat or like sunk in with me that, Oh, I, I get it now. Okay. And from there, like immediately after that, like I, 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 I felt more drawn in with Max. That's interesting. Yeah. It took, so it, it took me a few beats to kind of, to kind of get what was going on there. So I mean, you saying um, that the dialogue was a part of what kind of, I don't know, maybe breaks immersion for the game. I think it's probably like that for a lot of people, because to me, when I was playing through it, it kind of had this weird, like, Diablo Cody movie script feel to it. You know, like those weird, quirky movies like Juno and Jennifer's Body and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I'm a fan of some pretty crappy movies. (laughs) So... For me, actually, it kind of was the opposite, where, like, the goofy dialogue was just one of those things that I I thought was really charming about the game from the start. But I can see why it would be, I guess, a turnoff for some people. It felt very stylized to me, um, but not necessarily in a bad way. Uh, Like, my favorite TV show of all time is uh, Twin Peaks, and this game definitely feels a little bit reminiscent of that to me. Okay. That's and like I said that that I I totally take upon myself because I was sitting there playing this and like 
I guess it, I wanted it to talk to me directly. Like I wanted to sort of be able to place myself in Max's shoes. And then you realize that, no, Max, this is happening to Max, not to you. This isn't meant to happen to you. This is meant to happen to her. And as soon as I kind of got over that initial hurdle, like I said, one of the big things that kind of turned me off initially was when she'd like look at the cameras in the, in the classroom and would kind of, you know, wax poetically about the, it's just like, I have no idea what the hell she's saying, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and it's like- actually, you know what, as well, um, that makes me think of, um, that's really unusual about this game, is this game is interested in what a girl thinks, and um, I think games in general aren't very interested in what girls think. Um, like Max is, I talked about in your life earlier, like the way Max sees things and the way Max thinks about things is really kind of the, the lens of the game. And uh, I think it's handled quite well. I don't know. What do you think, Brittany? You're the um, you're the only actual girl. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, how did you feel about that? No, I definitely agree. I mean, up until recent years, where they started pushing character customization, where they would actually be voiced by a woman. Yeah. yeah. I pretty much had to play as a male and everything, and this was just another. Even <clears> though in the past few years, having some other women to play as in games, such as like in Mass Effect or Dragon Age or whatever, this was a pretty big difference because it's all written as this one set way. And mm. I just thought it was really well done. It's not, it's not really feeding into stereotypes. It's just putting her as a normal human teenage girl. And so yeah. I just really like the way that they did it. And even if it can be a little goofy sometimes just reading the, um, the journal entries that she writes. And then also, you know, reading the text messages and stuff back and forth with her parents and some of the students and stuff. It, it's definitely done in a really, I'm going to say like appropriate way. Yeah, it, it, I will say like Max and I I guess as a testament to a little bit of my of my teenage years, it does feel sort of like the authentic like teenage experience. I mean, I am quite far removed from my teenage years at this point in my life, but I do remember like those awkward kind of times in my life and you kind of look back at it and it's like, "Oh, okay, this all kind of makes a little bit more sense now as to what they were going for." And once I got like I said, I got over that hurdle of like, "Oh, this isn't supposed to be me. This is supposed to be almost a movie that I'm watching. Like I'm not supposed to be filling these shoes. You know, I'm supposed to be watching what happens to her. Right. But good. I'm, you know, I'm glad they actually did portray her as a, as a, I guess a genuine human teenage girl, because it's, you know, that's one of those perspectives that no matter how, uh, how much Connor and I might read or watch movies or TV, that's something we'll never be able to totally get, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and, yeah, I understand. And you know, and going through the journal, like it, it, it definitely kind of brought me back to like some of those years of um, the way you think of how certain things are going to turn out, and then like they don't turn, really turn out that way, and then you just kind of go from you do this entire like one eighty of, I guess like perspective on things, like you know her her initial accept or acceptance into Blackwell. She seemed very you know it was like. Like, oh, this is it. This is the dream come true for me. And then she actually gets there and it's like, oh, this isn't much different than everything else as far as school yeah. goes. It's like, oh, yeah. this, is, this is still a school. Okay, great. You know? I also really like um, that Max isn't sexualized at all. Um, and she doesn't really feel like uh, subjected to the male gaze very much in the way the game handles and the way she she's shown, you know? I feel like that is something that's very important because, again, with a lot of female characters, you're going to see with, like, the exaggerated bodies mm -hmm. and everything, I feel like the way that they have pretty much all the female characters in Life is Strange is more realistic to what you would see 
in real life. It's not like every woman you walk up to is going to be some skinny person with like beyond double D's and just everything's hanging out all the time. So I definitely agree with the lack of sexualization in the characters. It's, it's definitely another plus for this. Mm. And, you know, and I will say I am uh, actually kind of fond of, I mean, you know, I haven't only played the two, uh, the two episodes, but I'm kind of fond of uh, Max's wardrobe. It's yeah. It's very cute. <laughs> yeah. She dresses like a person. Yeah. Like she's, she dresses like she's dressing to please herself, um, which is a real, yeah, which is a real jump forward for that kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, normally it's you know you're you're kind of doing it to, I guess appease the uh, the player, but this is like no Max, and again this kind of gets back into like my thing of like the writing, like it this is this is Max as a real person almost, you know, it's like she's dressing for herself because this is what she likes, and not like oh well I'm going to be in a video game and for a largely male audience to pay attention to me I've got to dress a little you know a certain way so. I really do think they kind of like added this or it added this characterization to Max as a like genuinely real person, if you will, that I think would have would have been lacking a little bit otherwise, because like I like, you know, for all the sexualization of women in other video games, I don't remember their wardrobes most of the time outside of skimpy outfit. But like, you know, I remember Max's T-shirts, you know, the the two two T-shirts she's really worn um, in her day to day thing. They both have deer, you know, on them. And yeah. the uh, the the one she wore into the shower, um, the second episode was like it, it was cute little. It almost it almost reminded me of like the local Roco characters. Oh yeah, the little the little chicks that were on the shirt that was really cool too. Yeah, and it, like I said, it, it seems like oh that's something like I can imagine like a you know a teenage girl wearing to bed. You know, it's like you don't really expect a genuine human being to wear some of the rather skimpy outfits that uh, they normally do in video games. And it's like, oh, this seems like a high school student, you know, like I feel like not even just Max, but pretty much all the characters in general in this game dress realistically. I have to say one of my biggest pet peeves is when watching like TV shows or movies is when it takes place in high school. And first of all, everybody's like 30, 40 years old playing teenagers. But on top of that, they're wearing these extravagant wardrobes that even if they do have a little bit of a wealthy family, I don't believe that everybody would be dressing like this just to go to school every day. So Life is Strange definitely accomplished making these people look like these are real people going to school. They're not there for a fashion show. And she uh, and, and she even comments as much when you go to uh, when you go to like into her room and comment on her wardrobe or look at her wardrobe. She even comments that she like raided a thrift store for it. Oh, that's right. nice. Yeah. Also, actually, her friend Chloe um, in especially in movies, uh, but also I think in games. Um, like that character would normally be portrayed as like the bad girl. Um, and she'd be in like incredibly revealing, like ripped stuff and she'd behave in a really like provocative manner and it would be kind of skeezy. Um, and that doesn't happen here. I think that's really cool. You know, in a sense, uh, Chloe kind of reminds me of, and I am drawing a blanket at her name, Connor, but, um, the, the younger girl, um, from justified. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember, but I know exactly who you mean. Yeah, yeah. She kind of reminds me of that. Like she was never really sexualized um, in the show, but she was kind of portrayed as this like very headstrong and uh, you know she knows what she's doing, sort of thing, and not to be trifled yeah. and nothing to be trifled with. And yeah, I, and and Chloe kind of like there was a, there was a little bit of a hint of that. And you know, kind of getting back to my uh, um, like original point with the narrative uh, or like the characterization of of Max. 
I kind of felt the same thing for Chloe, like initially. And then I remembered like, no, this is what rebellious teenagers act like. They think that everything yeah. they do is great and everything that, uh, you know, the adults do is wrong and stupid. Even if as I, I guess as a parent, I kind of see, um, the, uh, the stepfather's reasoning sometimes, even if it's taken to a rather large extreme, I do kind of understand where he's coming from, but I definitely lean a little bit more towards Chloe's side of like, oh yeah, he's kind of a neo-Nazi freako with, uh, with, you know, he's looking for the Orson Wellian future basically. So, <laughs> so after she kind of discovers she can rewind time, um, there doesn't seem to be any consequences to the, to the ability. So she kind of does it for like rather mundane things. And once you get out of the bathroom and you save this unnamed person's life, you kind of have the option to, I guess, talk to certain people and kind of go from there. Right after you come out of the bathroom, the first kind of major choice that will affect you later on in the game happens. Um, you bump into the principal and you have two options. You can either report uh, Nathan Prescott, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, you can report Nathan Prescott, or you can just kind of let it pass and just, I believe uh, Max says uh, girl stuff, basically, right? Yeah. Played off as just having to go to the bathroom for girl stuff. This actually comes into play in the second episode, uh, towards the end of it, and I was rather surprised at how much of a difference that just this one conversation makes uh, so quickly in the series, but and we're, we're, I'm, I'm kind of jumping ahead there, but or from there, from the principal, you go outside, you can interact with other students, and the way you interact with some of them, and including one of the teachers, kind of affects the way the game plays out a little bit later. I love that. Have you, have you folks ever played um, the Blade Runner game from the end of the 90s, like 1997 or something? No. Was it it's, a uh, was it was like a PC point and click kind of thing? It was, yeah. It's actually it's one of my favorite games ever, and it's flawed, but it's one of my favorite games ever. But it's like the first game I ever played that had a really really deep decision tree uh, that wasn't laid out on the screen. Hmm. Um, so it had it had like six or eight different endings, and you wouldn't know during the game exactly what you're doing to cause the endings, but it was quite intuitive. It had that thing of like you do something small at the beginning of the game and it's it looms really large later on. And I, I really love that. And I really I think Life is Strange is doing a lovely job with that. I, I totally agree with that. Just the surprises that the smallest interactions kind of have, even even later on in the episode sometimes, it it's really surprising how deep Don't Nod gets into these decisions. Connor, we were sort of lamenting off air about Telltale's games and sort of the illusion of choice in those. My big problem with Telltale outside of the kind of bugginess of their games in general is the choices always seem pretty minimal. Like you always get to a certain point and it's just a, like say you let one character die and another live, it's really just a palette swap essentially. Yeah, of who's absolutely. there. And that's my yeah. big problem with it. It's, it doesn't feel like there's any actual actions affecting the outcome of the game or even the story. It's more of a, okay, well, here's a few lines of dialogue that you won't get, but you'll get these instead. And whereas mm -hmm. in Life is, Life is Strange, it actually feels like oh, some of these choices matter and it affects the decisions you can and can't make later on. Whereas, like, you know, even in, say, like The Walking Dead, it, those decisions are going to come up naturally anyway. It doesn't matter who lived and who died in certain points of the game. But even something so small as, like I said, talking to the principal and reporting Nathan, the uh, the boy with the gun in the bathroom, or not reporting him, it's like, oh, this could have some serious ramifications on the game. Yeah, anyway, um, we should we, yeah, try to stay on episode one here as much as possible, but I'm finding <laughs> myself bouncing around a little bit. It's kind of hard to... No. 
Well, it is a game about rewinding time. There we go. So I can, I guess I can rewind so, time a little bit further than Max can. <laughs> yeah. I also, um, I think, um, this is a bit complicated, but bear with me. Uh, By all means. I'll try and, I'll try and make sense. Um, <laughs> Like action games, you kind of interact with the world by shooting it and blowing it up. Um, and that's how your character has agency in the story, you know, mm-hmm. by shooting the thing or knocking over the thing or blowing up the thing. And that's fine. I love action games. Um, and in this game, because it's not a violent game, the way your character has agency is you change the world around you um, and you change it in a social way. So based on what you've decided, the characters will have different experiences uh, separate from you. Like you might not be in the room with the character, but different things are happening to them because of what you decided. And it's not, it's not necessarily life or death, but it's, it might be a social consequence or it could be something more serious. But I really, really like that. I like that the actual game world is changing based on what you do. With the whole symbolism, I guess, of the, um, you know, this action will have consequences. There's the butterfly there and then the butterfly that flies into the bathroom in the beginning. I think the reason that happens is because they're trying to touch on the whole butterfly effect thing. Mm-hmm. Where something as simple as a butterfly flapping its wings can cause a tornado. So, I mean, they're really trying to push the whole sure. everything you do, especially if you go back and change it. It doesn't matter if it's just something you said to a fellow classmate. It can have big changes to the world around you. Yeah, it's like that movie about the butterfly effect. I think it was called... Um, the Butterfly Effect? Back to the Future. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. Ugh, I actually saw the butterfly effect in theaters. I liked it. All right, it was okay. It. it wasn't a bad movie. It was decently done, especially for something starring Ashton Kutcher. It was it's a good the serious most horrible film. he's ever been. Yes. Yeah, I, you know, I, funny you said that. Just as you said that, I was like, you know what? That might be the only time I've been, ever been able to tolerate him. But yeah, there we go. This is something like as far as like Life is Strange touches that I don't think really any other game has um, really gotten on before is like the whole aspect of time travel when which actually isn't something touched on in games very much is normally used for something like quite epic. Yeah. Something overall just like this huge over, you know, overarching plot like, you know, Chrono Trigger is the big one that comes to mind where jump back and forth between eras and, you know, you. You try to stop Lavos from ever happening and then find out that, you know, the bad guy that you thought or basically the bad guy you thought initially was the bad guy turns out not to be the bad guy. And it, it turns into this very, like, I guess, grandiose thing. Um, whereas in Life is Strange, um, time travel is almost mundane a little bit for Max. Yeah, I, th- I love that. I think the, it's amazing. The, the, you know, it's such a newfound ability. She kind of comes to terms with very quickly but i guess at the same time like when you can rewind time like you do have enough time to kind of come to terms with it a little bit more or everything else kind of ages a little you keep rewinding things and you keep the the memory of what just happened you have a little bit more time to i guess accept what you can do whereas you know everyone else around you kind of doesn't have that so i think they do a very good job of portraying uh, Max's acceptance, I guess, her like initial, I guess, fear of what she can do. I, I guess kind of reacts in a way like a teenager would, like, holy shit, this is awesome. I can do this. Mm-hmm. I think they do a pretty good job of portraying that, but it, well, no buts really to it. I, I am quite surprised at how well I think they handled that. Like, I, I don't know that I would have reacted any differently. Like, as soon as I figured out I could time travel, it's like, oh, well, let me go ahead and rewind time as far back as I can. It's like, oop, I got about 30 seconds. Okay. Does it remind yeah, anybody just... else of Groundhog Day? Oh, totally. Oh, absolutely. Except, you know, the whole, uh, 
looping as far back as as she can kind of you know just the limitation but yeah it does it does it does kind of give off that vibe actually i'm not sure if you guys had noticed i'm not sure if there's a parking lot for you to walk through in episode two i think maybe there's the one outside of the diner but in episode one when you're walking through the parking lot when you're going to meet warren if you look at a lot of the license plates the uh the abbreviations they have are actually little nods to shows that kind of that they took inspiration from. Oh, I didn't notice that. That's cool. Yeah, like you mentioned Twin Twin Peaks earlier. I think it may actually be Nathan Prescott's uh, pickup truck that has a license plate that is a Twin Peaks thing. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, there's also one for Six Feet Under, Parks and Rec, and then also for Twin Peaks. I think Twin Peaks is actually Chloe's license plate, but it's that's just one of those little cool Cool. Easter eggs that you can kind of look around and see what kind of TV shows and movies they're giving little nods to. That's a nice touch. You know, and I I don't think we really touched on this quite so much, but effectively what uh, Life is Strange is, is a, I guess, a 3D point-and-click adventure game. It's something that I've always kind of, like, wanted to see done well, and I think Life is Strange does it very well because you can, the world actually feels a little realized. I I realized, I kind of came to that realization while walking around, and there's so many little things you can interact with that, add absolutely nothing to anything but they're still there for max to kind of like look at interact with even like rather mundane stuff when she ends up in the door or like you know in the uh, dormitory later you can look at the uh little whiteboards in front of everybody's door yeah i love that why am i drawing a blank on the uh the christian girl's name kate kate marsh kate marsh yes like you can even kind of interact with hers and change it because i believe in the first one it Oh God, I don't remember what it said the first the first time, but it's always some sort of uh, mockery of her religious beliefs or whatever. Basically, I think it was Kate bangs for Jesus or something. Yeah, terribly I think, rude I think like that. Right. Yeah, I think in the second episode it says something something to that effect as well. Yeah, it's it, it, like I said, it's little things like that that you wouldn't even know if you weren't paying attention to. Like you wouldn't like really know you can interact with unless you're going through and checking everything in the world. And I think Life is Strange kind of does a very good job initially of getting you to look at everything in the world to interact with it. Um, like, you know, when you wake up from Max's dream, you can look at your pencil case, you can look at your notebook, you can look at your camera. It sort of gives you that, like like you said before, Connor, it's, a, it's kind of a nice little tutorial of like, oh, well, this is how you can deal with this world without actually shoving it in your face that here's a tutorial mm-hmm. and that's such a rare thing in games yeah. of a subtle tutorial yeah so i think uh i think it's something we've lost i guess in games as things have modernized a little bit because we don't have the instruction manuals really like we used to and so now they have to teach you in game because nobody will read the instruction manual anymore even if there was one right and so many of these games these days the the tutorial the way that it's kind of put in there is just so jarring and yeah. It takes you out of the experience. Like this was another one of those cases where it just meshed into the game perfectly where you kind of don't even realize that you're being taught the mechanics and the controls of the game until afterwards you're like, oh, I know how to play this entire game now, pretty much. Just after the first few minutes of playing. Yeah, I'd say within five or ten minutes you've got you've got everything you need to do to be able to play the game. Um, I don't know if there's any like uh, movie nerds listening but um, the way tutorials are handled reminds me of the way exposition is handled. Um, like exposition, you know, like plot stuff that the characters have to reveal. And uh, like in, in one movie, a character might be like, well, as you know, we've been friends for 25 years and we've been coming to this bar for 20 years, et cetera, et cetera. Or another movie might do it really well. Like Die Hard has the amazing uh, exposition scene where 
John McClane is in the in the limo, and the limo driver keeps making like guesses about why he's here and what he's doing. And McLean is like getting more and more annoyed, but he's kind of playing along with it. But it's actually like really good exposition. And I think like cleverly placed tutorials remind me of well-placed exposition and bad tutorials remind me of like poorly placed exposition. Totally makes sense. Yeah. You know what? That's actually a pretty good analogy. Thanks. I just made it up. I just thought of it. You know what? That very good, good on the fly thinking there, but (laughs) (laughs) thank you. So let's go into the events now of uh, uh, of the first episode. So, um, when do you guys want to walk us through it a little bit more, or should I do that? It's probably a little bit fresher in your mind because it's kind of hard for me after playing the entire thing to place. Oh, this happened in episode one. This one was in right. three. You know. Okay, so after the incident with the principal, um, you walk out into. I guess the, uh, the the courtyard of the school where there's a bunch of little things you can interact with, other people you can interact with, and there are some things that are, uh, I guess, available for you to affect. And also there's some other things in there too that kind of, I don't want to say like really af- can affect your outlook on some people, but there are some things that affect your outlook on some people. Um, not knowing anything beyond episode two, I, I'm starting to see a little bit of a, I don't want to say hint at things to come, but a little bit of a hint of things to come, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I don't, I, I don't want to spoil, or uh, how about this? Brittany, if, if I'm, if I'm spot on or dead wrong, just uh, don't, don't comment. Okay. I'm really starting to see something weird about the, about the teacher. Um, oh God, you know, Mr. I, Jefferson. I, yeah. I'm starting to see something rather odd about him. Um, and maybe it's just because I'm not a photo nerd and I don't really understand the photography thing, but his pictures mm-hmm. kind of creep me out a little bit. I have my concerns about Mr. Jefferson too. He seems a little too, he's a little too friendly. Yeah. A little too friendly with uh, teenage girls. Yep. And only certain ones too. Yeah. Like you, you could see, tell he seemed, uh, he seemed way more interested in you, or as uh, as in Ma- Max than anybody else, and it, it's kind of yeah. strange. It feels so. like um, it feels like grooming, um, and it's really unpleasant. And I think there's a fi- there's a tiny feeling of threat in it, which is really interesting because, yeah, I think this game approaches things that way. So like the feeling of threat is something like that rather than the usual threat of like, you know, running away from zombies. <laughs> yeah and you know there's um there's a bunch of his pictures out in the courtyard and you know max is kind of in awe of them and the, like as she's in awe of them like there's almost this like a victim of like domestic violence or something like that or sexual abuse like rationalizing something it's really weird i don't maybe i, I i'm hoping i'm reading way too much into it I, but it's i don't i don't hope that at all like whether whether you're reading whether you're reading correctly or incorrectly, I think it speaks really well of the game that you're thinking that way. Um, Cause I think it's an amazing thing. If a game can make you like think one thing while a pr- protagonist is doing another. Mm-hmm. Um, so that you're, you're kind of, cause that's, that's a real source of tension. If the character is doing something and you're like, no, this is wrong, but you kind of have to go along with it. If that's handled badly, it'll be frustrating and game breaking, but if it's handled well, it's so tense. Yeah, and and it's something else that I, I really do like about Life is Strange is that if you didn't read into it and didn't, like, look at all the pictures um, that he's taken and Max's comments on them, that feeling might not even be there for me. Like, I, I if I had just kind of rushed through this and didn't explore very thoroughly, I don't think I'd have these feelings at all. But yeah, the more I've kind of looked at it 
and like like I said, just maybe just like I said, the the way that all of the females in the game are portrayed, and then the way that his uh, the models basically takes pictures of are portrayed in his photographs. Like, there's something off about them. It, it, there's a very big like dissonance between the between the two things, and mm-hmm. it's it keeps making me think like there's something a little off about this guy. Yeah. So. I'm like I said, I'm, I'm kind of hoping that maybe I guess you're right. In a sense, I'm hoping there is something there because I don't want all of this detail to have gone in into nothing. And then in my head, I'm just like adding narrative into the story that isn't there. But I guess just just from a uh, maybe maybe more, I guess, an adult perspective, there's something kind of creepy about it. There's just the way that he I don't want to say interacts with interacts with teenagers, but interacts with teenagers, you know, yeah. it's just, it's kind of strange. I think and then it's, just the, it's kind of realistic yeah. in a way though, because anybody, well, not anybody, but there's a lot of cases of people who realize, Oh, this person is a fan of me and my work. And you kind of take advantage of that admiration a little bit. So mm. I think maybe that's what you're getting from it. Okay. Without, uh, hopefully without you uh, leaning me towards one direction or the other. <laughs> You will never know until you play. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, I also think, sorry to bang on about this, but I just think it's interesting. Um, Jason, the fact that you're interpreting it that much reminds me of, I can't remember who said this, but someone was like, they were describing like a, what's what's a great piece of literature um, and it, it applies to all sorts of things. But one of the criteria is that it has to leave room for interpretation. And I think that's, because like, you know, if something answers every question that it raises, it's like, it's quite satisfying, but it's not necessarily like as powerful as something that, you know, answers maybe 70% of the questions that it raises. I find that's really interesting because like the stuff that you think about and the stuff that you try and figure out while you're playing it is a unique experience. And it's it's very much a part of the the art of the game in my in my opinion. That is kind of something I, I do hope that they uh, maintain with, with some of the other characters too. Like there's always this interpretation of of others, the more you dig into them, like mm-hmm. you kind of realize like what's going on in their heads and it, they feel like fully fleshed out characters. And I do hope that they do leave some of the mystery of some of these people. Like mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to know everything about everyone. I do want, well, I wonder why they did that, you know, yeah. in the back of my head, because it, it, like you said, it kind of leaves me to fill in the blanks a little bit. And that's, it's something as games have gotten a little bit more, I guess, supposed cinematic, they, they tried to fill in all of the gaps for you rather than kind of, like leave it up to your imagination. Whereas, you know, maybe the eight bit, 16 bit era, even a little bit of the, to the 32 uh, bit era, it does leave a little bit to you just because your imagination has to fill in what the technology can't do. And now that we're sort of, I don't want to say at that point where technology is there to fill in the gaps that previously, you, you know, couldn't be filled. I think they're trying to fill in a little bit and we've lost a little bit in a sense that way. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, I think there's, yeah, I, I think so. I think there's like a temptation to show too much. Like, um, I always relate everything back to movies. I play, I've been playing video games all my life, all the time, but, uh, I watch a lot of movies and I kind of relate things back to them. And a lot of the amazing things that have happened in film have been, um, where there were limitations like technical limitations and budget limitations that they just couldn't show something. So they had to figure out a way around it. Like, you know, the shark not working in jaws or something like that, you know, and they had to like put it on screen less than they originally planned. And I think with video games, yeah, it, it, it could reach a, pr- a crisis point there because they can show almost anything now and show it like really well, but it's still more interesting to, to leave stuff a little bit open. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And almost to that point, like 
I kind of almost point at Zelda as the the Legend of Zelda series as the perfect like analogy for what I'm trying to get at with those where you know the newest Zelda that's you know being worked on for the Wii U it's the it's supposed to be this gigantic open world and you know it leaves so little to the imagination because like oh hey if you see it in the distance you can go there like everything there is accessible and you should be able to get there and in the original Legend of Zelda, the world is gigantic without you realizing it. It's, you know, graphically obviously not that impressive these days. But if you go back to it and you can kind of like, your your imagination has to fill in quite a bit. And mm. as a kid, I was able to fill in these blanks and kind of create my own story while I was going. It. Like, you know, you, you go through and like, oh, well, I, you know, as Link, you go through and like, oh, well, I couldn't find the entrance to this dungeon and I did this and I did that and I finally got the right right path for it and it felt incredible rather than oh well there's the path for it and let me just look for the uh, the proper in a sense like the un- the way uncharted kind of handles pathfinding and everything you know yeah the uncharted series handles pathfinding like oh here's a here's a rock sticking out ever so slightly more than the rest of the rock so I guess that's the way I go <laughs> so it's sort of it, it's it's linear but it goes from Rather than point A to point B, you go to point A, B, C, D, E, F, G to get to point, or whatever, A, G, D, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I already lost. You guys know what I'm trying to say. Alphabetically, lost my place. <laughs> so anyway, but you know, that, that that's kind of where like leaving something to the imagination is good for video games because it's something that I don't think most medias can really do because they're like books can do it, but there's a visual thing to video games that that books don't have that you can kind of fill in the blanks with with video games because there's something preset for you but you can kind of make your own story up in your head as you go there's there's not a set thing for it and this whole thing with mr jefferson in the back of my mind like i do hope it's something but at the same time i I don't want it to be something because it's like oh this this could be something but if i'm reading too much into it am i going to be disappointed in the end that they didn't do anything with it that there's all of these little things in there and i'm like am i reading into this for nothing you know maybe i'll maybe i'll feel like it was a bit of a drop ball or a missed opportunity you know if nothing's done with it so you see, I, yeah, I, I know what you mean, but I, I just don't agree. I think, like, if nothing is done with it, that's still great because we had this conversation and that means that it did something. Because I found one of the, the best things that this game was able to accomplish was creating conversation. Um, mm, yeah. Especially during the hiatuses that we had, well, the people who didn't have the season pass um, all at once. In between those gaps uh, from one episode to another you're kind of like left with this crazy cliffhanger. You're like, well, what can I do except maybe talk to other people who have played it and try to put the pieces together and figure out what's actually going on. So that was actually, I'm going to say just as fun as playing the game was coming up with all these crazy theories and stuff during the the time off. Yeah. You know, and yeah, that's something like, that's totally on me. Like my inability to be able to wait is... It definitely affects that. Like uh, that, like I said, would have driven me absolutely bonkers. I mean, I guess the Empire Strikes Back syndrome. Like I, if that had came out when I was young enough to have seen it in theaters, and then just this middle thing happened, like I would have, <laughs> yeah. it would have just, it would have driven me mad. I, there would have been no way I would have dealt with it. I, I didn't even watch the Lord of the Rings movies until the Return of the King came out. Yeah, like I could not. There was, I was like, there's just no way I can do this. I can't wait a year to see it um and i even kind of felt that way with the hobbit movies even though they were a little stretched out but you know it's like i it, it was something like the the year in between wait i was just like oh god and it, granted a year is a bit of an extremity on that one where 
Life is Strange started in January, I believe, end of January, yes. and then finished up in October. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the, the the wait wasn't too terrible. But I mean, it, it was did. still about a two or three month gap. And honestly, I'm I'm much more of a TV person than a movie person, so. I've had many times where a season of a TV show will end on this crazy cliffhanger and then, you know, it can be gone for an entire year. And so playing this, I knew that there was going to be gaps in between episodes and I was like, ah, whatever, I'll be able to handle a couple months. But just, I think the big difference is when you're actually to an extent in control of something like you are in Life is Strange, the weight is that much harder because you feel like you're putting an actual part of your life on hold on the side because of how involved the game is and just, you know, reading the text messages, the journals, talking to all these people and getting to know them. It's not the same as just watching a set script and scene on TV. It's just like, oh, wait, I wonder what this person's doing while I'm not, you know, talking to them in the game because it's not happening for a couple months still. It just has a much larger effect, in my opinion. That's a lovely thought. I like that. I got to agree. Yeah, you know, and, and it's, it's kind of the nice thing about, I guess, these sort of episodic games where there are an interesting thing to talk about versus a normal, I, I don't know, it's like a normal game, but a normal game that it releases all at once. It sort of gives you a different way to play things. And like I said, with me, like, I don't have the ability to, like, wait in between there. Like, like I said, that would have driven me nuts and to the point where it might, have just fallen off altogether for me. Like I may not have ever gone back to it. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why when I first started playing it, I was like, Oh, there's something here and I want to see it through. So I was like, I'm just going to wait till it's out and then I'll get to it because if I, I just knew myself well enough that if I played it every couple of months, when it came out, I probably would have just fallen off of it altogether. I kind of actually do like the way we're doing it now or the way I'm doing it. I suppose now for the show that I'm seeing it and I'm kind of forcing myself to go along with it at a little bit more of a brisk pace than I probably would otherwise. And I'm seeing the things like connect a little bit more than I probably would if I hadn't been. And having all of this, I missed out on the initial conversations and all the what ifs and um, that you, that you got Brittany, but I guess in a sense, I'm getting my own sort of like, you know, this links up to this and this links up to this. So I'm seeing the, the dots connect a little bit better for me in my own brain, you know? Yeah, I think it's definitely a different experience because when you are able to just go from one episode to the next pretty much immediately, like I said before, things stay fresh in your mind a lot easier and so you're able to say, you know, oh, that's kind of weird a character's acting this way after they said this in the last episode when normally, you know, having that two or three month gap, you could forget about some small details that could connect later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's move along here a little bit more. I'll try to keep this a little bit more brisk since we're still in the first episode, technically. Once you leave the courtyard, you end up going to the dorms. And that's, I think, where it sort of becomes a little bit more apparent that you need to interact with the world a little bit more. Because as I mentioned before, the little whiteboards on everything or you know, on everybody's dorm room kind of add adds a little bit more of a characterization to some people. Even, um, oh boy. You know, I am awful with character names. I, I really the the Asian girl with the glasses. Stella. Uh, Stella. Yes. Wait, um, no, Brooke, the, Brooke, sorry. I get those Brooke. two mixed up. That's right. Both wear okay. glasses and have ponytails, whatever. There, there you go. Brooke, like she has the little pie and pie thing, you know, the um and then, you know, she comments that oh boy, what's <laughs> what's the boy that's that that's like obsessed with Max? Warren. Warren, that her and Warren are just meant for each other, you know? And like like I said, that's something if you hadn't really gotten before, that there's all these little things in there, it's 
it, it hopefully becomes apparent at that point that you really should be interacting with things because there's so much that this game will give you if you do, and you might be missing out on a lot if you don't. So that's one thing I really do like about Life is Strange. It sort of rewards curiosity. So once you go through the dorms, you go to your room, you end up meeting back up with Warren. And I, I will say this, Warren... I think is the character I most, I don't want to say resemble, but maybe uh, have, a, have, a, have a kind of a connection as far as like personality goes with, because he's very oddly sure of himself, but not at the same time. <laughs> I, that I makes like any Warren, sense. but he's like, he makes me uneasy as well. What makes you feel that way about Warren? Um, I find the trope of the, like somebody carrying a torch for someone mm-hmm. uh, uncomfortable because if uh, you're into someone and they're not into you, you should leave it alone. But at the same time, I, I, I kind of feel at that age, I don't know if you really understand that. You're right. You know? you, no, you're totally right. Like when I say Warren makes me uncomfortable, I don't necessarily mean that it's like bad writing. It's like, yeah. you know, it just makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, it's, again, maybe that's why I identify with him so much is, you know, as a, say, 17, 18 year old boy I, I can't even say young man you know you're you're a child at that point in your life still i think sometimes you don't get that like oh no matter what i do this person isn't going to feel that way about me sure you know yeah and you just keep you just keep trudging along and at least at least warren's it, it's very earnest you know yeah what do you think Brittany? from the way that i looked at it i found his persistence to be a little annoying because i've dealt with things somewhat similar to that like you were saying it you know someone's not into you kind of have to just let it go mm-hmm. so in that sense i just got pretty annoyed with warren pretty early on which was unfortunate because other than that there really weren't any characters that i disliked but it's it kind of got to the point where i felt like i was max in the sense that every single time warren texted her or, or, or anything like that i was just kind of like oh god what does he want <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know, uh, the one thing that uh, I think kind of, and maybe it's a, maybe it's something a little too, um, maybe an older reference, but he he said like Warren G, at one point. Oh wow! And As in it was Nate Dog and yeah, that that was I was I was like you know I wonder how many like you know people like you know ten years younger than myself are even going to get that reference. Yeah, that he's referring to himself as Warren G. It's like you know, uh, God, whose brother was who. Was he? Wasn't he like uh, Snoop Dogg's younger brother or I, Dr. Dre's nephew oh, or something I like really that? I don't remember. I just remember yeah. he and yeah, he and Nate Dogg had that terrible song. <laughs> it yeah, like sampled I mean, a Doobie Brothers song. There was uh yeah, there's this for nobody that knows what the hell we're talking about. There was a uh, a, a hip hop artist from oh geez, maybe the mid '90s. Yeah, about the mid '90s, because I was in middle school, I think, when that album came, when his album came out, and his, he was, or you know, his name was Warren G. And when I noticed that, I was like, "Oh, that's 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 weird." It's yeah, like, I that's wonder, a dorky joke. I wonder if I wonder if that was intentional, and like, you know, it, it's it's if if it was, that had to be one of those things. Like, well, if you're if you're you know, a thirty plus year old person, this is this is a joke for you. You know, this is yeah. a little something for you. So. And, you know, at the same time, it also might fit into Warren's personality because Warren's into some, you know, kind of oddball stuff for a, for an 18-year-old boy, you know? Mm-hmm. There's stuff in there that's sort of like, it almost seems like wise beyond his years stuff that he's into. Anyway, like I said, as, as, as and I definitely see where you're coming from, Brittany, 
dude can be a little obnoxious. Um, but I think his heart's in the right place, at least, you know, even if uh, maybe his heart's not as uh, good as his brain in that sense. So, but it never really feels like he's like creepily coming on to Max. It's always kind of like a, like a lost puppy dog almost. Yeah, I mean, there is one point. I'm trying to remember if it's at the maybe the beginning of episode two. Um, you end up running into him, and if you're in Max's room and you kind of like, it's this very specific spot that you have to notice, and not a lot of people did. If you look out the window, you see Warren just kind of like peeking around a corner of the building, like looking up oh. at Max's window. Yeah. Oh, he, he planned to run into her and everything. So that was just one of those things that I noticed. I was just kind of like. Oh. That's a step too far. But. Okay. You know what? Yeah, because at the beginning of episode two, he is waiting, like, just outside the dorm, like, yeah. texting. And it seemed like, like, almost like a coincidence, but almost like, okay, well, I'll just wait here for her, you know? Yeah, that's a little creepy. From the perspective I got of it, it was, oh, I'll just wait here for her, you know, not, I... Yeah, but when adding that context to it, yeah, that that turns into creepy. Oh boy. Okay, maybe I I I I might be redacting what I did. <laughs> but let me let me if say I this. The, if I could get the screen cap of that, I'll have to show it. Yeah. To you. Yeah, please do if you can. <laughs> um, let me say this though. I feel like I'm more that's the thing that I'm more, most interested in about this game, the fact that we're talking about it like this. Like cuz going through the the plot is really interesting and like talking about the story of the game. But um just the fact that the game makes different people feel different ways uh, is lovely. I think that's really nice. And the fact that you're like, that the three of us are talking so in-depth about the motivations of these characters is really uh, unusual for a game. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's what makes Life is Strange like such a good topic to talk about for a podcast is there's a lot there and there's a lot up to, there's a lot of kind of room for interpretation for some people. I mean, I guess it all depends on your own life experiences and how you look at certain things. But I, I really kind of saw myself as like, oh, I was I was a Warren when I was younger, you know, now, yeah. you know, I, I don't think I ever crossed that that line of being a creep. But, uh, <laughs> oh, boy, that's uncomfortable. If that's if that's how it ended up turning out, then, yeah, that's uh, oh wow, I had no idea that he did that. You know, that's it. That is definitely one of those things. Now I'm like, I don't know if I really like Warren anymore. I mean, it's kids seemed OK, but now it's like, oh, he's he's a bit of a stalker. <laughs> I mean, without really knowing he's doing anything wrong, you know. It, it it does. I guess it is sort of like a longing sort of thing, you know. But when he interacts with Max, it does seem more of like a, oh, I'm into you, but if you're not into me, we can still be buds, you know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe it is sort of a longing. Maybe somebody who's never really had a, if I had a guess, uh, Warren's probably never dated anyone before. Maybe. And maybe maybe that's why he sort of has this like childlike like attitude of like, not really sure how to how to really approach a female who he's interested in i yeah i do think actually the fact that warren is kind of annoying and the fact that he makes me uncomfortable and the fact that he kind of annoyed Brittany, i think it is kind of in a way it is kind of cool because um he's flawed in a way that teenage boys are often flawed and that's cool like it's 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 nice that the game is taking that interest yeah again it's it's so rare that they actually start to feel like real people and and uh, Brittany, i'm looking at the screen grab and yeah that's okay that is, <laughs> that is so spooky yeah. oh man that's because <laughs> i was looking and is... i was like i don't get it what are we talking about here oh uh, yeah yeah and you, it's not even like he's like out in the courtyard out in the open he is literally like hiding behind the corner of the building kind of peeking peeking around to look into her window it's like creepy where's wally yeah all he needs Ooh. is a set of binoculars and then it's just way over the line 
Yeah. Oh boy. I think Max needs to get some uh, curtains. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Makes me glad that Max changed in the shower and not, uh, or, oh, oh no, she didn't. Boy. No, she didn't. She didn't. She actually changed in her room, huh? Okay. Now I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Warren, 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 why did you do that to me, buddy? I was defending you and then you had to go do something creepy like that, man. Okay. <laughs> Sorry for bringing it up. <laughs> oh God. No, I can never look at poor Warren the same. I felt so bad for him. Okay. So anyway, um, moving on, um, from the dorms. Wow. I'm trying to remember where we go from there. Well, I don't like. I don't mind. You know, I don't know if it really matters. Yeah, does it? I don't mind if yeah. we can't remember the the flow of the plot. I'm more interested in this kind of conversation. Well, I, I'm not trying to dictate, but yeah, I, I'm enjoying this actually. Just like, yeah, the way it kind of spins off. Um, you know, and okay, so let's like the major broad strokes. plot, uh, major plot point, I suppose, of episode one is that you meet Chloe. You're kind of long long lost friend you you moved and you moved to seattle and just like totally lost touch with chloe and it turns out the girl that uh, was going to get shot in the uh, you know the first in the first few minutes of the game was your was your long lost friend chloe um who has just kind of changed her look significantly and you didn't recognize her and chloe kind of ends up coming to save the day rather i don't know if by accident but kind of by accident when uh, nathan prescott comes and kind of threatens you and then this is a scene where again warren kind of endeared himself to me a little bit like he he took his lumps for max yeah you know? he was cool in that moment um gotta yeah that was that was sort of like he went from like oh kind of this dorky guy who doesn't really get it to you know what he's a pretty good guy even not knowing if this is going to work out like he took the lumps like you know you always sort of have i guess maybe at that age of like this thing of like oh i'll fight for my woman or whatever and you know he did it knowing he stood no chance whatsoever like yeah. i'm just going to sit here and get beat so she can get away yeah that was quite brave i like um just speaking of chloe i like how much how interested the game is in just talking about the difficulties of rekindling that friendship that's a very in-depth thing that a lot of the game is just about the fact that they were once best friends they're not anymore maybe they could be again what drove them apart and what what are the like little things that are that are getting in the way while they're trying to become friends again. And right. That's, and that's Max's really nice sort of acceptance of, or having to like accept that she got replaced basically. Yeah. Like, because Chloe needed yeah. somebody to replace her. Yeah. Which actually that's a really nice segue into episode two in a way. Um, Cause that's stuff that is kind of comes up more in episode two as well. Right. Like the, we learn about like the depth of her friendship with someone else and like Chloe resents Max for leaving, but Max maybe resents Chloe for replacing her. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's this odd dynamic between the two of them that in a, in a weird way, you know, it's like that action had a consequence, I guess, you yeah. know, Max should have tried to at least stay in touch with her and she didn't. And now there's this, this friendship that was like, you know, sort of like, I guess she said the B, the whole BFF thing. And now it's like, well, she got replaced and yeah how how Max is kind of learning to cope with that and how Chloe's kind of learning how to accept Max back in her life as somebody who abandoned her for five years in sort of her time of need and, you know, is now all of a sudden back in her life and Max wants to kind of, like, act like nothing ever happened, like she never left, basically. Mm-hmm. And how Chloe Chloe's response to that is kind of interesting. So Now, I think, like, the next major thing you kind of learn about here is that the the rather jerkwad security guard at the school uh, turns out to be Chloe's new stepdad. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I, I, it was kind of strange. Like, I don't think the game kind of ever played off the surprise of of that 
facts. I went through Chloe's house quite a bit, and Max kind of seems to like figure it out pretty quickly, and but just doesn't react to it at all. You know? Yeah. That was that was the one thing in the like I guess the game's writing that I was like, well, why wouldn't like Max at least be like kind of like, oh my god, seriously, that's your stepdad? You know? It was just kind of like, yep, that's your stepdad. Yeah, like, she found the uniform in the closet and was like, oh, Chloe's stepdad must be a police officer or something. It's like, you've seen that uniform several times just in the past couple days. Yeah, and even, hell, even the last couple hours. Yeah, and I think there was even just a picture of him in... Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, when the the bird flying through the window, and I was like, oh, there's a picture. I'm like, wait. Yeah, that was a bit of a hole. Yeah, I was like, hey, guys, guys, there's a, yeah, you could drive a truck through that one. Come on, seriously, that is a a missed opportunity, guys. It definitely kind of adds quite a bit more to it than you'd think, the initial, I guess, discovery. But Max seems rather unaffected by that. And and then you kind of really figure out the depth of his, what's the phrase I'm looking for? The depth of his, uh, well... Paranoia, I guess. Yeah. If you explore the, uh, if you explore the household enough, you find that he has been keeping notes on students. He, um, he has the whole whole house with security cameras that nobody knows about. And obviously, um, there there's some consequences later on that if you're if you don't rewind time and basically put everything back in its place properly, that he does realize that you were snooping around his house. Yeah, that's scary. Actually, I find that one quite scary. Yeah, and of course, as you're going through, um, the one that's kind of hard to miss is the uh, the missing gun in his gun rack, mm-hmm. which kind of plays into a rather large point towards the end of episode one and about three quarters of the way through episode two. Anyway, once that revelation's kind of come and gone, the the end of episode one basically kind of boils down to you coming out of, well, I guess this is a weird way of putting it, but it's a it, this is not figuratively, it is literally you coming out of the closet... Or not, as he's harassing Chloe about some marijuana sitting there. Now you can, you can kind of sit idly by and just let it happen, or you can get out and take the blame for it. Um, there's consequences to both actions. So, what did you guys end up pick, picking? Did you? I took the blame. You took the blame. Yeah. Yeah. Brittany, how about yourself? So did I, because for some reason, just with the amount of time I was given, and I didn't really feel like messing with the rewind too much, I couldn't figure out where to hide so i was just kind of standing there when he came in anyway and i decided to take the oh, really for it. okay yeah i was just kind of like dumbfounded standing there <laughs> see and that's and that's something where i feel like maybe that that kind of falls back on me like my first thought was the closet go for the closet go for the closet <laughs> i think i like i think i played i think i rewound it a few times to figure out where to hide and then as soon as i did that i just jumped out of the closet being like no nah, whatever it was me um, Which I feel like, in a way, is kind of stranger. Like, if you're gonna own up to it anyway, like w- <laughs> you're just hiding in the closet, that just makes it seem even more suspicious. Like, what were you doing in there? But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, th- but I think that also kind of plays back to Max's uh, wanting to get back into Chloe's good graces. Basically, like, oh, I could sit here and do this, or I could. It's sort of like an immediate uh, gratification thing, you know? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Of like, oh well, if I take the blame for her, she'll she'll trust me again. Yeah, I definitely felt that. Like, yeah, that's that's very nice because I felt the same thing. I felt like, look, there. If there was ever a time that I really need to do something for her, it's now. You know. Yeah. Uh, did did um, either of you guys happen to let it play out where uh, Chloe, you, you basically stayed hidden, or Chloe took the blame for it? I didn't actually. So I I did it just to see what would happen. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because my initial thing was jump out of the closet and take the blame for it. But I wanted to see what happened. And what happens is uh, he ends up actually hitting Chloe. Oh, wow. And that after that moment, it, it, it becomes very much a classic. I didn't want to do this to you, but you just piss me off so much sometimes, wow. you know, and it's like, ooh boy. OK, this is getting a little uncomfortable. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like I said, it was sort of one of those things like, again, that's one of those like characterizations to him that. Um, that the game kind of builds into, well, not just him, but, you know, every character, that if you miss out on something, it it could change your perspective on him entirely. That is so cool. That's really interesting. It's kind of like that whole thing with Warren, with me, just finding out the whole creepy little (laughs) peeking behind the court thing. Yeah. It went went from, like, you know, just a sort of misunderstood character, maybe, who has the best of intentions, just maybe not the best mindset to do them in, to okay, maybe this person has a little bit more sinister, uh, maybe not sinister is the right word, but, uh, you know, just there's a little bit more to this person than just like, oh, you know, just he's trying, he just doesn't know how to interact with people, you know? It's like, okay, he's kind of a jackass. So So that was sort of the big ending reveal there. I don't know what the the, uh, ramifications are if you let Chloe take the blame, but... Uh, it turns out Chloe has the gun, and that sort of turns into a little bit of a big thing for episode two. Let's fall. But something goes. 
starts off uh, in the dormitory. Yeah, it, um, and turns out uh, Max has been up all night uh, rewinding time, I guess, and reading all of these quantum physics books and watching movies about time travel and everything, trying to kind of come to grips with her power. Oh, wait, no, we did miss out on a big thing at the end of episode one, didn't we? Uh, I mean, are you going back up to the lighthouse reveal to Chloe about what's going on, I guess. Yes, 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 yes. So at the end, they end up going back up to the lighthouse that, uh, uh, the game started in and Max has a vision of the town being torn apart again and reveals everything as, uh, Brittany just said to, to Chloe about her abilities. And it kind of ends there and just, it sort of leaves it at that, um, and like I said, that's something that would have driven me absolutely mad if I had waited. So I don't, I, yeah, I don't know if I would have been able to have uh, yeah. held on so well. You know what? That's one of the tamest of uh, endings of all the episodes, too. Yeah, well, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, episode two's ending is. I don't. I, I want to say like the actual ending moment, but the uh, the I guess final act is rather tense. Yeah. So. Um, anyway, so episode two, Chloe or uh, Max is kind of uh, trying to come to terms with her powers as as she's starting to realize that she, um, maybe that there's there, it might not be just as innocent as it seems, and that maybe there's some responsibility of of her newfound abilities. You know that whole uh, you know with great power comes great responsibility thing from Spider Man, um, and you know you kind of see it in Max's. Uh, ability to wake up quite so easily that she is she has worn herself to the bone over the course of the night rewinding time and it doesn't it never says implicitly that she has rewound time but she has obviously gone through a ton of books and a ton of movies and a ton of tv shows yeah that it's obvious obvious that she sat there and would like read you know 20 pages and then rewind rewind you know and just to kind of keep it going so she could do this very ground okay and so you do wonder, yeah, exactly. So you do wonder how much like poor or how much sleep poor Max actually got. Yeah. Although I guess I guess you could if if you like say you go to bed at midnight and wake up at six, just keep rewinding time and then you actually end up with a good six hours of sleep. So <laughs> But I think that introduces one of the themes of this episode, which is that we start to see the consequences of um uh, no pun intended, sorry, the whole action will have consequences. Um we start to see <laughs> the like the toll that it takes um her power and I mean, she's overtired from that night or whatever, but in this episode, we start to see her, like, yeah. Um, yeah, the, uh, the wheels come off a little bit on yeah. it. So it's, uh, I, I suppose in a sense, it almost seems like uh, if you change a tire in a car and you put the lug nuts on, but not not quite tight enough that nothing really happens initially, but as you go on, eventually that wheel's going to start loosening up. Mm. After some mundane stuff happening in the dorms in your previous go-through, you have quite a bit actually happen this time. Uh, turns out there is a... It's not a sex tape, but... God, what would you say it is? Um, um, I'd say it's like internet shaming, really. Yeah, a damning video of poor Kate. Um, and it's... I mean, it's interesting because it's so incredibly dark. Because it's mm-hmm. like sexual in nature, even if it's not whatever. Yeah, even if, um, even if it's not like the actual act of sex. Yeah, it's it's still like uh, posting that is essentially like an act of sexual violence, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just an incredibly dark thing to handle in a game. But I I don't know. I I thought it was handled quite sensitively, actually. 
don't know. What did you yeah, guys think? I totally agree. Like, I, I was sort of half expecting the video to actually show, in a sense. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I didn't... And it was something I, I was not wanting to see. As much as the game kind of, like, will show you its hand without being... I suppose, in your face about it. I was hoping they kept that trend, and thankfully they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they, they addressed it pretty sensitively. And, I mean, they, they made it very clear that the people who who made the video, were talking about the video, laughing about the video, were the bad people here, and it was Kate that was being taken advantage of. So I, I like that they weren't doing the whole, like, victim-blaming thing or anything like that, because that happens yeah. way too much in, in just all media these days. Agreed. Mm-hmm. You end up... Uh, going into Kate's room and there's quite a bit to actually discover that plays into the uh, into the end of this chapter you find out a little bit about Kate and you know you actually kind of like I always felt kind of sorry for her because well I'm certainly not a religious I'm not religious at all people that like have those beliefs like I don't hold it against them As, as long as like you know you're not jamming it down my throat it's fine that's your thing and you're not hurting anybody with it good for you if it's if that's your moral compass then so be it that's fine with me you're not hurting anybody with it I don't have an issue with it as a teenager I guess in a sense like you kind of see like why it's such an easy target you know you go from what you perceive as a holier than thou attitude to oh hey look she's running wild just like the rest of us Mm-hmm. And then you see some of the things like the emails she has or the email she has on her tablet or the letter from her mother. It's very like you feel bad for her because it's like it, you almost feel like Kate never had a chance of anything else but this. That that brings up, though, a little bit of a I don't have many negative things to say about this game, but that brings up one slight negative thing I have to say in that in order to feel like you're getting the full story of the game, you have to take mm-hmm. actions sometimes that don't feel right uh for the character like i guess max is a curious character Mm -hmm. but some of the snooping felt a bit invasive i think that's something too that it also is addressed pretty well because you don't have to do this stuff it does affect the game but it doesn't you know there's no there's no game over for you you know if you don't do it yeah so I think it kind of it kind of plays into well you can do everything and look at everything if you want to but there's going to be uh, again consequences for that action if you if you do so you yeah. know and it does open up some dialogue choices occasionally for you that you might need I think there's very few instances where you kind of have to do that but I think it does address it pretty well that you don't need to do this a lot of this stuff is optional to kind of flesh out some people. But you do have to remember that these are actual people too, and if you go through person's stuff, you are snooping on them. I mean, it it, it is kind of like you know, would you do this in real life? I mean, you know, would you would would you be going through somebody's trash can to find a pregnancy test? <laughs> yeah, really. while they're sitting right in the room looking at you. Yeah, yeah. and would yeah. you pick up your would you pick up your friend's computer and read their emails? Never. No, go on their Facebook like, and stuff like that. Like I thought that that was yeah. a little a little far. Yeah. Yeah. So it made me, I don't know. Yeah. But again, is that supposed to be something that we're learning about Max that she's like, or is it just the Max that we're playing? You know, it's, it's an interesting thing. Yeah. And I think, I think that does kind of play into the Max does have a very set personality, but the details of that personality are kind of set by you. Yeah. It kind of does come into whether or not you are willing to do some things that, I guess maybe even take advantage of the power that you have because you can do all this stuff and come up with all this information and then rewind time and have it not actually happen. I don't know. It, there, there, there is something a little skeevy about the whole thing about doing that. But anyway, after after the dormitory thing, you bump into Warren outside, as we mentioned. 
which, oh, God, I... I <laughs> oh, Warren. I felt, you know, I was so positive about that poor kid, and now all of a sudden, now after that revelation, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I like that kid now. <laughs> it's like, he, like I said, he felt so earnest and just, like, kind of clueless, and now it's like, oh, he's he might be a little bit of a creepo. But it also might be, like, social uh, social awkwardness, maybe never really having too much, you know, contact with regular people. It's it's sort of like stunted his growth as a social human being, you know? Right. One of the major things um, I think we should just probably get to is what happens at the end of episode two. Um, Connor, you said you don't really mind the spoilers, right? No. Okay. So oh, what's where Where did you end up in in, uh, in episode two? What was the last thing that happened? Uh, no, I don't want to say because I think I'm near the end. Um, okay. And I don't mind uh, finding out the spoilers, but I don't want to say if you know what I mean. Okay, so basically the the big, big thing that happens is uh, Kate ends up going to the top of the girls' dormitory and jumping off. Oh. You know, Max's ability to rewind time is about 30 seconds or so, if, if, I'm, if I'm remembering correctly. She really doesn't have enough time to get back. She keeps rewinding time and... You know, as as we've seen before, or as we've seen, the um, the consequences are starting to pay, are starting to ha- or hit her. Yeah. Where she's getting nosebleeds, she's getting headaches, she's passing out, and she keeps trying to rewind time to go do it, and all she keeps doing is seeing poor Kate jump. Oh, that's awful. Kate, you you end up, I guess, having sort of a breakthrough in your abilities, and Max actually ends up being able to freeze time. Ah, oh, that's so cool. This is exciting because I'm. I think I was like one. I think I was like one scene away from that. Uh, yeah, if you're in the if you're cool. in the school at the moment, there is. Uh, are you in the school? No. Okay. I'm so finished you might- up in the tra- uh, I'm finished. You know what I found really tiresome actually. Um, when uh, you have to go and find bottles in the uh, oh god, oh, that, you know what? Yeah, I, I, so far that is probably the worst part of this game. Like, there's just no fun <laughs> to be had in that. It was awful. So yeah, I had all the I had the confrontation there, uh, which was kind of fun. Like you can face off against this guy who's like sort of a low rent bad guy, uh, Frank, sort right? of drug yeah. dealer guy. Yeah, um, and that was kind of fun because it felt like, mm, yeah, I don't know. It, it was just an interesting scene the way it played out. Like you had a it felt like you had quite a lot of options, um, even though there's only really two big ones. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just, so I just finished there uh, and all the shooting stuff and all that stuff. So it, it was just finished there. So I think the next thing is to go back to the school, I think. Yep, 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 yep. That's where you are. Okay, so um, real quick, what did you end up doing as far as uh, as the, would you, did you, I guess, shoot or not shoot? I actually did shoot. Yeah, I did. It's funny, like, because I love role-playing games. And in a role-playing sense, I shot because I imagined just the, like, the panic of, like, he's he's just getting too close uh, yeah. uh, firing the gun. And then when I saw how it played out, I was like, you know what? It's actually okay that I pulled the trigger. And that was interesting. You know that's uh, that's that's funny. That's exactly the reason I chose that is because I, I kind of put myself in Max's shoes. Yeah. And like, you know, based on Max's personality and every and knowing she could rewind time, it's like I probably would shoot. You know, it's just like okay. I mean, maybe I miss it, I scare him off, and then I just rewind time or whatever. That's but interesting. Too. Also, at the same time, it's like, well, I'm in I'm in a scared thing, and and she's and you know I've already seen Chloe die once. I don't want to see her die again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That definitely that as well. How about yourself, Brittany? 
Um, I also chose shoot mostly because Man, I was we're afraid. A, we're trigger happy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, for, for, for I think for the three of us, probably being a little like liberal and uh, maybe a little little bit more peacenicky than most, uh, we, yeah. we all kind of jump the gun on pulling the trigger. Uh, yeah, they will pry those guns from our cold dead hands. It's not. Well, I mean, that was what I was worried about. Is you know, what's what's Frank gonna do with that knife? Is he gonna kill us and then take our guns? So I figured, you know, take care of him now and worry about it later. <laughs> That's very right wing of you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, yeah, it was kind of my mindset too. And, it, and wow, that is interesting that all three of us ended up going to shoot him. So, yeah. so like I said, especially as a peacenicky as I think the three of us are. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's funny. Um, anyway, so that was sort of the big thing. And then, uh, Chloe ends up getting her, uh, getting herself stuck in the train rails. Yeah. Okay. I got to ask, did you guys rewind time 400 times thinking that there's got to be a better option than just pushing the, uh, the thing down? Listen, uh, that, it took I have to say enough. that was really dull. Yeah. That, that entire little puzzle, I guess you could call it was just really irritating to me in the sense where I felt like no matter how far I was rewinding back in time, trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do, I still had the train inches away from Chloe, like after I moved a couple feet. So it just got very frustrating to the point where I was like, Whatever the quickest option just to get this done and over with is what I'm going to do. So I ended up pushing the uh, the barrel down and breaking the lever. Yeah, it just didn't feel fun. Here's here's my little morbid confession. I actually sat there and let it happen to see what would happen. <laughs> that is so messed up. After you were just saying you saw Chloe die once, you didn't want to see it happen again. Right, right, right. But I figured I was like, well, the game's not going to end because I, I was I was actually wondering if there was some sort of consequence to the action, you know? Oh boy. I was I like, I wonder if the game out. ends because she's like, oh, you saved. I love how that plays out for Chloe because she's like, oh, you saved me, and you're like looking at her with a really awkward expression. She's like, what? And you're like, well, no, I was just curious to see what it would look like. <laughs> yeah, you know, you know what's funny is actually. I did like when she like, you know, like hugged me and was all happy that I saved her. I was like, you know, in the back of my mind, like I literally just sat there and watched you die just to see what would just happen to in satisfy the game. My yeah, just, just, yeah, just to satisfy my morbid curiosity. I did just let you die. Yeah. So um, that's weird. I, but that's there might be something wrong with me. <laughs> you know what is you know what's amazing about that? I, I keep saying this, but, uh, you know, I think that brings up such an interesting thing about the game, because if you if you were able to, like, stop time and uh, as she is later, but if you're able to, like, rewind time and stuff, do you think that could potentially have a desensitizing effect? Because, you know, empathy, a lot of our empathy is developed in our, you know, in our perceiving people's reactions to the things we do and seeing how the things we do affect other people's feelings and their emotions and stuff like that. And like, if you could do it all over again, would you become a little bit colder if you were able to just do it over and over again until you did it right? Like, so it's kind of interesting. Maybe your response, Jason, um, is kind of quite a, a true response to what the game is that it's like, it can't, you know, could Max potentially become quite desensitized. You know, that's that's interesting. I, I do wonder that. I wonder if kind of to that point, like I felt like that, like when you go through like multiple playthroughs of games where, you know, you're just going through the. Uh, sure. Like, the decision I, tree. I, yeah. Like, I guess like in Mass Effect where you go for the, uh, you know, the the more uh, hard renegade ass, the renegade answer. Yeah. yeah. Versus the Paragon one. You're kind of like it. I, I, I kind of wish I had went through the renegade path the first time because I, I did feel a little disconnected from it. This, the second time through because it's like, oh, well, I kind of know what how this all plays out in the end. And, you know, it's like, well, but then again, the Paragon thing was the way I would have handled it. Like, I literally, like, went through that game and picked everything, like, the way I would have wanted to have handled it, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, I almost brought up Mass Effect earlier because Mass Effect 2 is my favorite game ever. Um, and Mass Effect 3 is a terrible disappointment. But uh, one thing I love about Mass Effect 3 um, is that it, I think it pays a lot of respect to how important the friendships are that have grown in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and that reminded me, like, you know, some of the some of the stuff is just scenes that are purely just about commemorating the fact that you've like a really close relationship with this character. And I love that, but I love that in Life is Strange, that's happening all the time between you and Chloe and stuff. It's just, it's just about that relationship. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so getting on the Kate thing. So uh, depending on how everything happens or how everything you've done pr- kind of prior to it, th- you have the chance to save Kate, but you also can play the game out and Kate, ends up jumping and killing herself anyway. That's really good. It's yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of glad it didn't just go to where you ended up saving her and that was it. And that was the end of it. Yeah. Um, the ramifications of this is it seems a little silly when you just say it, but you end up in the principal's office <laughs> talking <laughs> yeah. about talking about the incident. And at that point you can kind of place blame on somebody. And this is where this, like I said, um, I, I put in the, the, uh, the group chat, this is where this game, like, 100% has those hooks in me, was this moment where you can place the blame on somebody, and you have to place it on one of the three people there, um, Chloe's father or stepfather, the um, Nathan Prescott, or your teacher, Jeff or Mr. Jefferson. And there's no, there's no fourth option. There's no, well, maybe beat around the bush with it or whatever. You have to place the blame on somebody. And I went through all three options just to see what would happen. But there is consequences for everything, just about everything you've done up to that point. Um, whether or not you reported Nathan affects it, having gone through um, you know, the house and left enough evidence that you got caught, having taken the blame for uh, you know, the marijuana. It, all of this stuff comes into play in this one scene. And it's like, wow, this, this you know, like I said, that's something I never got that's out great. of this Telltale stuff. Yeah, or the Telltale games is that none of this ever seemed to matter. Whereas this, it's like, oh, I really have to start thinking about everything I do now because this all this all comes into play. I mean, a lot of the stuff comes into play with uh, with Kate's. You know, you try to talk her down off the ledge, but even more so now, like it literally blocks you off from being able to do certain things as far as I guess blaming people and I, I the safe choice that has the seemingly the smallest, I guess, after effects on max is blaming your teacher. But yeah, it's, it it does seem to be sort of the, the easy way out. And is that the path you're going to take after everything you've done with your newfound abilities is like, are you going to take the path of least resistance? Mm, That's really good. It's a fascinating thing for me. When I was playing the game, I thought that I was making, you know, the right decisions for max all along. And then once getting to that scene, I did the same thing where I kind of went through to see what the result was of blaming all three characters. And I was like, oh, crap, I really screwed up along my playthrough. Like, Mm. no matter who I try to place the blame on, Max is just, you know, not really in a good position to really be blaming anybody for anything because they have a rebuttal to that. It's like, oh, well, you're saying this is my fault. Well, you didn't tell the principal until just now that I had a gun or or like you said for being blamed for being a drug dealer if you try to put the blame on um on David you know it's just I think what actually happened to me was I blamed Nathan and I ended up getting uh suspended 
Yeah, that's that's, that's what happened. That's what happened to me. Like I said, and that is something I think that it hand, there, that this game handles so well with the time travel thing is that there is no right answer, and everything you do, it doesn't matter whether or not you go back and you, you know, quote unquote, fix something. You may have just made it worse. It yeah, may have seemed to have the the the. You may have, you know, you may have uh, fixed something temporarily, but in the long run, you may have made something worse for yourself, for others in the end. So it's like, and that's why, like, right now, I am very much looking forward to the rest of this game. I'm, I'm anxious to get to it. Me and, too. Like, us, us all get back together in a couple of weeks and talk about it. Yeah, for sure. I'm in love with this game, actually. I really am. Yeah, and, you know, I, 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 I knew I enjoyed this game quite a bit, uh, you know, once I finished episode two, but the more I've talked about it with you two, it's like... Yeah, me too. I'm kind yeah. of I'm kind of more in love with it than I thought I was. Yeah. <laughs> so, and especially, like, seeing the, the, you know, the variance of choices in there and how certain things can affect... And also, you know, like, like we kind of just realized, uh, or, you know, Connor just had that realization of, like, maybe the time travel thing does kind of, um, kind of desensitize you to certain things. And whether it does or not, I like that it's a possible interpretation, you know. You know, that gets back to the uh, the Mr. Jefferson sort of thing, like, in my head, like, that was an interpretation, or that's my interpretation of him, is, like, there's something off about him, yeah. ever so slightly, and maybe I'm reading into nothing, but the fact that there's a potential that I'm reading into something that maybe they they want you to read into, or they just, there's nothing there, and it's just, well, the fact that there's anything there to read into, maybe, even, is pretty great. yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I think that wraps up our talk for uh, Life is Strange episodes one and two. Um, basically, I think we're giving this a big thumbs up. So Yeah, yeah, such a I, big thumbs up. I can't not recommend this, at least these two episodes. And I think at this point you'd be a fool to just play the first two episodes and kind of leave it hanging because mm-hmm. there's so much going on in this game that like I am very anxious to get on episode three and four and five and see what what happens and how it all wraps up especially after seeing uh your your vague tweeting about it Brittany. like i was like oh god i have <laughs> yeah to. i know I, I apologize about that because i try to there's a lot of people that i've recommended the game to that haven't played up to a certain point and i try to make it as um non-specific as possible because i don't want to ruin anything for anybody and you and you did a very good job of it all it did was like just seeing your reaction was like what made me want to actually like finish this game up. So, you know, uh, stars aligned and, uh, the, the podcast idea came to mind. I was like, you know, this is a perfect, perfect way to kind of, uh, get myself to actually finish this game and play it and make the time for it. So, and hopefully to get other people to experience it too. Cause I think that of all the games that came out in 2015, this is not even just like the game to play. It's the experience to have. Mm-hmm. And that's the way that's that I nice. put it is it's not necessarily a game. It's an experience. You know what? I that that is that is very well put. There is, and that, that was another reason why I wanted to do this one was it felt like it sort of it was not very well hyped, but it felt like it was kind of middle of the road. Like people were talking about it, but I don't feel like enough people were talking about it. Yeah, it deserved more of a chance than it really got. So anyway, so let's 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 get our plugs in here. Uh, Connor, you you have not just one, but two books. Uh, Yeah, that's right. Um, One of them actually kind of features time travel. Um, (laughs) And then the second one doesn't. So don't get that one. No, get that one. Yeah. You know what? Get both of them. That's my whole plug. Help a brother out. So the the first book is called The Hanged Man. And as I I think your succinct, uh, uh, I guess, uh, synopsis of it would be if you like a 
carnivals and you like revenge. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's a love story Spider's for book. people who like carnivals and revenge. There you go. <laughs> yeah. And the second book is a concept that absolutely fascinates me. And Connor, I promise I will finish this book eventually. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, 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 I am digging it. I am digging it. It is um, the, you know, why don't you explain it? Why am I sitting here? All right. Very, very, very briefly. Um, a young man, uh, he wakes up in bed beside someone that he spent the night with. Uh, and it was their first night together. And he's really crazy about her. And he thinks everything is kind of perfect. And then she wakes up and starts screaming and says that he's not real and he's something that she dreamt last night and what is he doing here in the real world? And after a while, he realizes that she's telling the truth. He's not real at all. And he has to walk out into the world by himself and figure out what to do next. And it's about uh, discarded dreams and nightmares all sort of wandering the earth trying to figure out what to do. And then some of them want very different things from each other. So there's some clashes. And if you if you enjoy Life is Strange and sort of the ilk, I really do recommend uh, Connor just as a just as a writer in general. It seems it, it, it seems a little weird, but hear me out on this. <laughs> Connor paints a picture of people and his characters that I sort of have to fill in the blanks with some people. But Connor does a very good job of filling in those not filling in the blanks for you, but giving you enough to work with that you don't really feel like you're missing out on something. If that makes any sense, I hope that makes sense because I really do like you and uh, Jessica Chavez of Exceed. Like, you both do these. You get very descriptive about your characters to the point that, like, I I almost feel like you're telling me a story rather than writing it, writing a piece of fiction. If that makes sense. Mm, thanks, man. That's very kind. So I would recommend both books. Uh, I haven't haven't finished the second one yet. I, again, I promise I will. How <laughs> <But, laughs> dare you? Yeah, that's good, man. Thank you. Um, so yeah, anyway, uh, and follow, t- or, uh, follow Connor on Twitter at Connor Mahood and you can check out his podcast with Luke, uh, usual, usually on this podcast, but not for this one. Uh, Luke Maxwell, their podcast, wonderful movie podcast called the movie express. And you guys are doing your year wrap up pretty soon, right? Yes, we are. We like to do it every year. Um, and we will we'll talk about what kind of moved us this year. And we also usually end up doing something about, uh, these couple of fictional failed uh, theater actors, um, uh, a failed uh, British theater actor and his best friend uh, who reminisce about times past. Our Christmas episode almost always features like a little thing about them. So that's something to look forward to uh, <laughs> if that's the kind of thing that you like. <laughs> you know, what? I think the first episode I listened to of you guys was like maybe be your Christmas thing from about two years ago. where You guys were talking about like one of you was talking about murdering the other one at a park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I yeah it's i, I like uh, i said that was pretty christmasy that was, okay yeah i, I obviously <laughs> it was very jason borney in, in my head yeah of uh, you know one of you sleeping on a park bench and then waking the other one up and then murdering the other one so. oh my god <laughs> i have no idea what you're talking about but that sounds like a great episode everybody <laughs> yeah it's it was i don't like i said i don't know I, I'm almost positive it was one of your year-end wrap-ups because it was like when Luke and I first started talking on Twitter and then I like listened to his podcast and, uh, you know, well, your guys' podcast now, obviously. But, um, you know, I was listening to the podcast and I was like, wow, this, this got dark here <laughs> at the end. We're not afraid to get dark. No, obviously not. So uh, anyway, Brittany, um, Twitter handle. Uh, that would be hella yes. And instead of L's, it's actually uppercase I's because somebody else had taken the name. And in case you're wondering, yes, it is a Life is Strange reference. 
Mm. Oh, okay. You know, I was wondering, like, I noticed you had changed your uh, your Twitter handle, uh, and I was like, I wonder what that was about. Okay, so that makes sense now. Yes, I mean, hell was many to go around with that game, so. <laughs> <laughs> and anything else you want to plug? Uh, no, that's, that's pretty much it, honestly. <laughs> All right. Well, I have got a little website called gamesjunk.com that our web inverse, uh, Vanessa Maestas, is getting over, uh, getting back up from GoDaddy. So uh, hopefully by the time this goes up, the uh, the site will be back up. But if not, it'll be back up eventually. Uh, you can see my writing occasionally at popculturebeast.com if you don't want to look at it at Games and Junk. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Jason Ariola, horribly original. And thankfully, my name is so weird, nobody had it. Me too. So. <laughs> high fives all around yeah. <laughs> all right well that is the first episode of the games and junk game club and i guess the first segment of the first episode so uh check back in in a few weeks we'll have a we'll have the discussion of episode three and four and then uh, a few weeks after that we'll have episode five hopefully we'll time that out just about as the physical release of life is strange comes out um quick question any of you guys plan on getting the physical release Oh, absolutely. As soon as they announced the uh, the limited edition was coming out, I put my reservation in for that. Nice. Are they getting it as a gift for someone, actually? Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah, because it's the kind of game I'd like to be able to hand to someone and go like, play this and then give it to someone else and have them play it. Well, Connor, it's a weird it, it's weird that you tell me that you're going to do that for me um, now, but I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that's a long no flight. Problem, that's, buddy. That, that's a lot of money, man. I, but I appreciate yeah. the sentiment. You're so, uh, oh, and seriously, I'm gonna I'm gonna end up buying that too. Yeah. I mean, especially after the second episode, I am 100 percent on board with uh, giving giving my uh, giving my money over to this company. Yeah. So. so anyway, um, so from Connor, Brittany, and myself, thanks for listening, and we'll talk at you guys in a few weeks. Good night. All right, thanks.